Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. I'm ready to do something risky today. How risky? I don't know. Genius level risky. We got the guy for you, man. Yeah. So here with us today, we have Chris Cheatham, the CEO and founder of Risk Genius. Hi, Chris. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's Friday and my wife's gone. So I have the kids all weekend. Sounds so risky. It's going to get... Oh. Me too. Come on over, man. Yeah. Uh, pool uh, party tonight, about seven o'clock. Come on over. I, uh, I've already given them to my parents for the weekend. So. Oh, so you're alone? It's a good Just move. For, yeah, like maybe for tonight. It's a good and move. And I got to go pick them up tomorrow. Good move, man. Right. Good move. Well, Chris, you are you own a, uh, you own a startup here in Kansas City. Recently, uh, we're also added to Startland News' top startups to watch in Kansas City. We're a, we're a sponsor of the startup foundation Sweet. love what they do there and uh, that was actually the first time i had heard you hmm. talk about risk genius and it really kind of opened my eyes um and i i'll let you say it the best but you said one thing you said yeah these insurance companies don't even know what's in their own policies and i was like what so anyway yeah tell us about risk genius and what you guys do yeah um we help insurance companies figure out what's in their policies right yeah. so uh, yeah, these commercial insurance policies are big and complex and nasty. And because of the way that states regulate the issue, um, they're hard to read, right? And so we use software and machine learning to break them down, segment all the data, categorize the data. And then we've created like software modules to serve that information up. So simple way to think about it is like everyone has a checklist that they use when they check the policy. And we've just taken that checklist and brought it into a software application. And then we can take each of those items and find them in the policy with machine learning. And so is, you said this is based on insurance policies that are usually business related? Yeah. Yeah. Because personal insurance, nobody reads their policy. Nobody cares. Um, because there's lots of regulators protecting you. That's the main reason. I mean, has any, have you guys read your personal insurance policy? Yeah. I'm reading it right now. I did last night when I was tired. Is that, is that how you get, finally went to sleep? Yeah. I mean, I read a, a book to my kids and then they wouldn't sleep. So I just started reading in my insurance policy. And that put them to sleep? Yeah. I bet you couldn't even find your insurance policy right now. <laughs> That's right? a great point. Right? Like you know, People don't even know how to get them because you have to yeah. go find your agent and then the agent has to call the carrier and the carrier like has crappy APIs where you're trying to connect. And yeah, that's a good out. point. It's not like they send you some 50-page document to nope. read. They well, that's another it. thing I was going to ask is how long is an average insurance policy? You're probably pretty long. They are. They're, they're you know, 50 pages to 150 pages. But then you also, like the brokers out there, I feel very bad for them because they have to take like the quote. There's this insane process in the insurance commercial world where you get a quote and then you get a binder and then you get a policy. And mistakes are made all throughout that process. And if the broker doesn't catch the mistake and then there's a claim made and that, that mistake affects it, then the broker can get blamed. So what kind of policies are these usually? Like what's an example of this type of insurance yeah, that we're talking about? Property. So this building, okay. right? The insurance property or the insurance policy on this building would be a good example. Um, commercial fleets have big commercial auto policies in place. 
basically any business and like cyber insurance is like the new hot area. Like DNO insurance. Yeah, all of that stuff. Anything a business needs, that's okay. that's something we cover. So how did you get into this? Where'd you come up with this idea? Um, so I used to be an insurance claims attorney doing surety bond claims. Oh, God, I'm boring myself just talking I was right going to say, that sounds like a fast lifestyle, man. It was actually really cool because um, it was... <laughs> It was construction projects, right? Which sounds kind of boring, but like I would go in and figure out what happened, why they went wrong. And so like Hurricane Katrina, I was one of the first lawyers oh. to go in there and try to figure out, did the water go under or over the levees, mm-hmm. right? Um, so actually construction, big, massive construction projects are really interesting because something usually goes horribly wrong. When so if it will, the water went under the levee, then that was okay. But if it went over, it wasn't? Or? No, if it went under... It was not okay because that means it was a man-made disaster mm. because the water would have gone under the, there's like steel, I can't even remember the name of them, steel boards or whatever, steel boards, put into the ground. So if the water went under, it means it went under the steel and up and then scoured the back and then the whole thing fell down. That's man-made. So then the insurance companies would have been on the hook. Whereas over the top, that just means it was a natural disaster. The water got so high that they just didn't build high enough. And they and they absolutely don't want it to find out it went under the board. They didn't. They never actually got to that spot because they decided that the federal government was responsible, and uh, you can't sue the federal government. So you sue God. Uh, you just yeah yeah you sue no one. Wow, I'm gonna sue God. Good luck with that. Different episode, bro. Okay, different episode. That's a TV show, I think. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. So all right. Wow, man, you guys just so anyways, just to connect risk genius to doing that claims nonsense. Um, So then I was like, you know, claim documents are a total mess. I need to fix that. So initially we did a scanning company basically to go out to construction sites and scan documents, collect electronic data. And then the bug bit, I didn't even know what was going on, to be honest with you. But I was like, oh, we could just build software to manage this whole thing because the software we're using to manage all these documents sucks. So hired an outsourcing team to do this. Um, that was a disaster. Um, and then from there, a carrier called us and was like, hey, could we use your software? This is many years forward. Can we use your software to review policies? And that's when we kind of uncovered this problem that was, we're solving. An accidental find. Yeah. And some that's uh, sometimes those are the best ones. And okay, so when it comes to, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of things uh, machine learning, AI, stuff like that. So you're looking for patterns in yep. these policies. I mean, what are, what, like, what are some of the things like, so obviously you want to help someone make money, save money, blah, blah, blah. Is this, this is more about like trying to help them avoid errors that then result in liability? Yeah. I mean, at a, at a, a high level, yes. What we're using the machine learning for is to spot patterns in, the document so we can break out the clauses and then also spot patterns in the clauses so we can then determine what the contents are so we can then categorize it. Um, We have this like taxonomy that we use to do all the categorization. And that really is kind of the value of our software because then it categorizes everything in a similar fashion across all the different carriers because they write all the policies differently. So like one person might say, hey, we cover your roof unless a windstorm occurs. And another carrier may say, if the wind exceeds 150 miles per hour, uh, when it rips off the roof, then you're not covered, right? And being able to identify that those are the same thing, that's the key. That sounds like fun. 
I was watching something about this. At, well, um, so, you know, on HBO, you know, Vice News has a um, ongoing, you know, news thing. And they also do some special reports. But they did one uh, recently about how artificial intelligence and machine learning are changing the workplace. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, actually uh, a company that uh, they profiled that did did some stuff similar to this, but for like legal things, like you look yep. at like how much time, <laughs> all right, at full scale, we spend a lot of time uh, messing around with MSAs. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, and it's oh, just yeah. like an, it's just a pain in the butt. Yep. And, uh, and that was actually, it was actually an NDA that they used for the example. And they tested, they had, there was some platform that had, you know, AI for that. Yep. Then it had gone through and, you know, because it had scanned a gazillion things and had a ton of stuff, it was able to recognize certain things that might pop out. So they did the good old John Henry test, you know, man versus machine. Oh, interesting. And, and it beat the human lawyer who also took four times longer. Yeah. When, I mean, this all started in my opinion, like around the, uh, discovery space where like, if I sue you and say, give me all your documents, somebody has to go through those. Mm -hmm. And so eventually they're like, this doesn't make sense to review a million pages. Let's use machine learning to have a human review a thousand and code them as to what's relevant and good and what's not relevant or bad. And then take that seed set and then feed that, feed the whole model through that and see what comes out as a result. And so actually that's what I saw starting to merge in the legal practice um, where I was working, I was like, Oh shit, my work's going away. Are we allowed to curse? Yes. Okay, cool. Fuck yeah. Oh wow. Um, so (laughs) saw my work going (laughs) away. Does that make you feel better there? Uh, maybe, maybe not. No, 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 no. I know I, my kids can't listen to this now. Uh, my two-year-old dropped an F-bomb last night. So yeah, maybe it's from listening to the podcast. My my five-year-old likes to go up to people now and go, I know the D word. And they're just like, and I'm always, when I first started, I was like, oh, where is this going? This is trouble. And then he'll just go, damn it. Damn it. Because <laughs> he can barely say it. That's funny. What happened with me was my, apparently my two-year-old may have said it. And then my four-year-old started yelling. Caden yelled, OF, OF. And so then I had two kids. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Yep. I, 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 I should make this a kid's podcast. I shouldered, uh, that would be terrible. <laughs> Yeah, I shouldered the liability on that one. So, okay, so for the, uh, you obviously employ software programmers, but do you also have to have a bunch of people around that are like, that understand that you have like, what is that? Is that an analyst? Is that? Yeah, we call them policy analysts. So we actually have a team here. We also have a team in India um, that are literally going through and reading new policies and finding data and categorizing that. And a lot of the work that they have to do is around, um, making sure they're not going outside the bounds of what to call stuff, right? So like last year, we realized that our index of how we categorize all these clauses got really messy. Basically, the data integrity got screwed up. And so we had to go back and clean that up. And it took two people like seven months to do that. It was painful. Is that just terms? Um, it's like, uh, example would be like, imagine you have a definition of food. Defin- so we call that definition dash food. But then somebody else creates a clause that's like, definition you know this this policy covers food including fruit but not including water right so somebody made the mistake and called that definition dash food and fruit and so now you have a new category even Mm. though it should just be definition of food so then you have to go back and clean that stuff up it sounds uh fun i mean i i actually remember when we first started and i would be reviewing clauses 
in an Excel spreadsheet until 4 a.m. in the morning, like every night for a long time. And then like passing that to the developers and then they'd upload the CSV file and we'd see if it worked better. So it's a lot of remapping and remapping of data. Yeah. Yeah, we'd be classifying data. We had to do that like nine year, like eight or nine years ago when we built the ticket site that was like generating itself, and it would. So we nine years ago, I built a, a you know handling all this event data that came in, mm -hmm. and you know building web pages as new stuff came in and other oh, cool. stuff came out, and like nine years ago, that's not high technology now, but nine years ago, no one else was doing that, and we would all it would often go haywire for those same reasons, yep. like you know you'd have like. Justin Bieber, and then another listing would be like Justin Bieber and the following acts. And the next thing you know, we have like 10,000 Justin Bieber pages because the freaking <laughs> server went haywire or something. Yep. You're talking about auditing like goofy little lists that only I felt like I would figure out and someone else didn't or yep. good stuff like that. Uh, so, did you yeah, I was going to say, so I don't know if you mentioned this a minute ago, but the what your company does now versus what it did when you first started is a little different, right? Yep. yep. So, can you uh, talk a little bit about that journey and um, kind of maybe how you, I guess we described as a, a pivot along the way yeah. or just kind of how the business has evolved? And, yeah. al and also if you, and with that, if you're able to um, give us any, or the listeners, any um, info about like, we like to talk about the pitfalls and the things that you didn't like, you don't know that you didn't know something until mm -hmm. you're like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And you never saw it coming. Yep. Um, yeah, so I think the, one of the things, one of the rules now that I have in my head from the past is always pivot hard, right? And I tell that people often, I tell that to people often. Um, so going back, we, we started in 2012 and we came right out of the shoot with a lot of revenue because we had a big carrier customer. And so that was great. Like, um, and, but the business model sucked and I didn't realize it at the time, which was basically deploy people onto a construction site, scan documents with local labor and take all those documents that are now electronic and upload them to a software application for people to review them. Pretty simple. It would have been a nice little business, frankly, like still be doing that without a doubt. Um, but I decided, okay, we got one customer doing this. All we need is like 10 more and we're just rolling, right? Now we've got lots of revenue coming instead of that. What I didn't realize is that customer was not gonna replicate very easily. And so um, we did a round, fundraising around in like 2014 based on the model of replicating, you know, what we had built with that one customer. It didn't replicate. And so in 2015, when we needed cash and we also had had a customer, like I mentioned, come to us and say, hey, can we use your software for policy review? Um, I'll never forget, actually, we pitched an investor that night. Or I went to pitch an investor that night, an existing investor. And I was like, I told the story that the claim document solution was doing fine. It would continue to go well and build and grow. But hey, we also have this other thing that's going to do policy checking. And it looks pretty amazing. And there's a lot of demand for it, even though we haven't even built it yet. It was a terrible approach, right? Because, well, looking back, it was a bad approach because it's a muddled, messy message. I should have just, and so the next morning I woke up and I had to go present at 1 million cups. Okay. Right? And the presentation was on pivot. Like I remember waking up that morning really in a bad mood because the night before had gone poorly with these investors. And I was like, pivot. I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I just made some slides very quickly that morning about why we're pivoting, right? It was like, all right, here's what I saw with the claim kit, the claim document solution. Here's what we see with this new thing. 
And the key is demand. There was just tons of demand for Risk Genius. There was not a lot of demand for ClaimKit. And so um, went in and presented. And from then on, I just presented the Risk Genius story. Didn't even bother talking about ClaimKit. And things went a lot better after that. There you go. It's amazing sometimes that the things you learn along the way that, you know, if you never would have done Claim Kit, you never would have got to Risk Genius, oh, right? So yeah. Yeah. Th that's the amazing part of this is you, it's like one step at a time and you don't know what the, what the final steps and journey is. You just, you keep learning one step at a time. And then at some point in time, you, you figure out you need to pivot a little this way yeah. or a little that way. And I, I was just, you go. I was just yeah. talking about that last night or yesterday at the Royals game with someone about, you know, it's weird because my story, it definitely the last 10, 12 years all ties together because, you know, we I hired my first employee in Cebu City in 2009. Hmm. And at some point it would have been easy to let them go because we weren't doing some of the same stuff. Yep. But we hung on, we let them figure out how to do new stuff. And that became pretty damn useful when we when we experienced open hmm. full scale and expanded last year. And you talk about all these little goofy things where if you'd gone right rather than left, you're yep. like, would my life be dramatically oh, yeah. different? Because we all have really, those moments. Really, really could. Okay. So we heard pivot hard. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think that's a, you know, that's obviously a buzz, a buzz phrase or a lot of people talk about it. And, you know, what, what are, what do you think are a couple indicators that you, that you need to pivot? Just in general. Um, yeah. So I, it's, there's just one basically, right? Which is demand. Like I will never forget trying to get people to pay attention to claim kit, even cold emailing attorneys, like, cause I read, you know, all the sales books on how to generate leads and that stuff. So I'm, you know, emailing hundreds of lawyers a day, getting maybe one or two that'll do a demo. And then they get on, they're like, no, no thanks. Um, whereas, so that was the first thing. And then there's Risk Genius, where I'll never forget we uh, we had just hired a salesperson, and an article ran calling us the Google of insurance policies, which is insane to start with. Like I didn't even expect that, and that article just came out. And then all these leads just started coming in, right? Brokers and carriers saying, "What are you doing? We're interested in what you're doing." And I just remember pausing and being like, "This is different. This is completely different." Um, and until you get, I think it's really hard. A lot of times people want to build a solution because they think they can build the demand afterwards. And I think that's a mistake. You have to like find that really horrible pain point where people are demanding the solution and then go build it. And it's obvious, but I didn't understand it the first time around. So find tremendous demand from lots of people that are willing to pay money. If you build it, they will come is not a thing. No, no but that, that sounds a lot like the full scale story. You know, like Matt and I had a different intention mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we're like sitting there going, wow, there's like this insane demand for this. Like when people are beating down your door yep. and they're like, I need help. Yep. We have problems. Help me fix this. Like that's well, that's listening to the marketplace and like understanding opportunity. And um, now do you are there other people that do what Risk Genius does? Yeah. One of them is this company uh, they're called Exari. And so they're based in London, came out about 10 years ago. And so, in, so instead of using machine learning to try to categorize all this information, they like hard code in their best guess, essentially, right? So like, imagine I tell you, hey, I need you to predict what this clause I need you to be able to predict and identify all the war exclusion clauses, right? And then you trying to write rules around that um, is tricky. So that's... I mean, you guys are doing more nat uh, natural language processing type yeah. stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, we're, we're just feeding lots of examples. Yeah. Can, we yeah. like to define things. What is natural language oh, processing? Uh, it's anything that, you know, where a computer can read text and have an idea of what the text means, you know, the, or like the context of it. Yeah. Like there, like there's great things. There's all these weird different rules and business uses for this stuff. And risk yeah. genius is obviously one of them, but there's things, for example, that'll read through news articles and then decide, okay, what is a news article about? Yeah. What is the like summary of this article, the headline of the article? Like, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it about Donald Trump? Like, what is it about? Like, that's like kind of low hanging fruit at this point. Right? Yeah, that, I mean that's pretty yeah. basic sort of natural language processing. So, so what's a like you will be using natural language processing to go through resumes in the next five years without God, a doubt. Ready to move that timeline up? I mean, there's technology yeah. already out there doing it, right? Yeah, no, and it, it, it's interesting how much you know. So many of our guests, the companies that they founded are running, and so many of the things I love. I love workflow automation. I just think it's amazing. And and it, especially when it takes out shit that no one, I mean, okay, let's be realistic. Are there even five people on this planet? They're like, yeah, I get to read insurance policies all day. There definitely are actually. Are they? Oh, absolutely. Lawyers that make $500 an hour. No, they have to, okay, they enjoy making $500 an hour. They don't enjoy <laughs> reading the policy. There's yeah. a difference there. I mean, there's, there's insurance nerds that like, but like that, the people that like, like to there's a it. guy somewhere that's like, man, I, my kids are out of town. I, well, my oh, wife's absolutely. out of town. I, I, I'm dropping the kids off at my parents' house and I am going to stay home tonight and read insurance documents. I mean, that's kind of an extra, like, do you go recruit on a Friday night when you're, I, I have, yeah, yeah. But you have, but that's not your preferred means. Of... Uh, maybe I did. By the way, it's really funny. He brings that up. Cause that is actually what I did last Friday night. Yeah. I just had an opportunity. I'm also, I have a weird schedule. So Friday yeah. night for me. Is when, you're, like, when your uh, hobby is making money, you just never stop working. I know. I have not worked you guys a day are since. such hustlers. <laughs> it's, it's funny. He Welcome says, to the startup hustle. He says that, but I'd say that a lot because, you know, you talk about like training your own mentality to do certain things. And, you know, I, I'm on uh, uh, Wife 2 right now, but they're both named Jill. So Jill 1. Um, wanted that was my first wife she wanted me to get a hobby and i tried all different kinds of stuff and hmm. i just came to the conclusion i was like man i really like making money i'm just gonna let that be my hobby and i tell people i haven't worked a day since i i'm still stuck on the two jills because it reminds me i used to date multiple jessica like i dated three jessicas in a row yeah and it was very helpful because if yeah as soon as i stopped dating a jessica actually my current wife melissa she went to meet my family and my mom slipped and called her Jessica, and that was awkward. It, it's awkward for people like, well, not necessarily now, but people that had met my first wife, Jill, and then after we broke up, oh, then yeah. met the other Jill, but weren't mess. This, you know, this was, we've been together for 10 years. So this is, we were just talking the other day, Facebook was what, 10 years ago? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, you're, you know, people just weren't as informed about, I mean, now I know everything about, I know what you had for dinner last night, maybe, unfortunately. Ooh. Yeah. My wife thinks you're trying to start a cooking show, by the way. I'm working on it. And Are you still doing the keto thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I know about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I blew the keto diet up last night. I slept. I, I went to open what I thought was a keto-friendly ice cream bar, and then it was shaped like <laughs> Mickey Mouse. And I was like, <laughs> it was shaped because it had the like solid white package, and I thought I, I, I – it, it was mislabeled. We're talking about bad labels. Yeah. And well, I opened this thing up and it's it was the labels fault. It was cut. It was totally. So, but I, who am I to waste a Mickey mouse chocolate covered yeah. ice cream thing? My kids are already in bed. So I ate it. 
And then that, that was a slippery slope, guys. It went downhill really fast from that. So, okay. Um, have you started other businesses before this? You said you were uh, in the insurance business. Oh, but... um, <laughs> yeah, you could go to CheatemConsulting.com. There's a website. It's still, still online. So that was actually, yeah, there's a couple things I did before Risk Genius because I was a lawyer, right, at a big firm. But then after that, because I was really sick of billable hours, um, actually two things happened. God, I need to meet more lawyers like that. Yeah. Well, um, when I, well, billable money's like, the, I, I get it. The, yeah. <laughs> so I meant needing them to care less about billing my hours. Yeah. So when I was a lawyer, when I was a lawyer though, I remember looking around at the law firm I was at. Right. And I was like, wait a second, there's like 50 or a hundred construction lawyers here and they all do the same thing. And I'm supposed to bring in customers to make partner. How is that going to actually happen? That doesn't make any sense. It, it felt like, like a lottery essentially. I think one of the jokes I told someone was the best way to become partner is to befriend the oldest partner and hope he dies. It's <laughs> not a bad approach. Yeah. And so I, I mean, just, is that, do they like hand it off like that? Oh, yeah, it, oh, oh so they're like, Hey, I'm not going to be the partner. I'm, Oh, it's been a great life, but I'm out. Chris, you're the partner now. Is that really how it went? Yeah. Well, Weird. no, that's not how it went for uh, me, but that's how it goes. But that's how, okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, so interesting. It's a yeah, strange so, dynamic. Yeah. So I decided I needed to kind of make a name for myself. So I started, that's when I kind of got into marketing, which is really my, my true kind of passion and all this stuff. So started writing about green building law. Right. So, you know, green buildings mm -hmm. like yeah. lead and all that stuff. No one was really talking about the legal implications. So I was like, I'll do that. And so you say weed. What? Green what? Green buildings. Yeah. Lead. Oh, I think oh, lead. Lead. Yeah, I thought, lead, I think lead. we're talking about yeah. green buildings. Like and no, I thought no. I heard weed. Yeah, like buildings made out of weed. It's Friday night, what can I say? Buildings made out of weed. They um, might be soon, who knows? Uh and so started writing a lot about that and started getting lots of speaking stuff and it just kind of blew up and I was like, and didn't make any money, frankly, but it was like, Oh, this is how you create a name. Like I kind of started understanding marketing and branding. And so, um, after we did that, you're picking out a card, aren't you? You're going to ask me a question off of a card. No it scares me. Um, yeah, I coined the phrase litigation. This is where I wanted the story to go. I love, I love invented words. Yes. Litigation. Litigation. Everyone started, Add that to the vocabulary yep. episode. Lawyers started using it. They asked me if they could use it. I'd be like, I didn't trademark this. Then I tried to trademark it. Got, almost got sued. So that was intense. So um, you didn't invent it? I did invent it, but you can't trademark a word that's already been trademarked. Mm. It's a, it was a derivative word. I see. Yeah. So anyways, I like marketing. So. That's you, kinda... So at Risk Genius, uh, especially early on, did you take on or do you still take on a lot of the the sales stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm the only sales guy and I'm the only marketing guy at this point. I know how that feels. Yeah. And our secret weapon is I have 150,000 followers on LinkedIn and they're all insurance people. Wow. 150,000? Yeah. Well, you're out. Yeah, you're out of connections at that point. So they have to just follow, follow you. Follow, yeah. They Interesting. Yeah. Wow. How did you get that many? So, uh, no was, doubt. I think I, I had like a new year's resolution to like start writing on LinkedIn more one year, I think it was like four years ago. And so I started doing it every other day, just posting something about insurance. There's a lot of insurance tech innovation stuff going on. So just started writing about who's doing what. And then I got an email from LinkedIn and they're like, Hey, we noticed you're posting about insurance a lot. We're about to release our app where we're going to recommend people to follow. Would you like to be the insurance person? Oh, wow. I was okay. like, I actually didn't believe him. I was like, sure. Yeah. 
I'll see this. Anyway. Grand Slam. Yep. So I feel like this is that moment when, you know, we joke, you, you say, yeah, I want that third comma. And then Sandy Kemper comes in and talks about the trillion dollars that C2FO sends around the world. And we're like, dude, you got to come in here with your fourth comma. We thought, I thought I had a lot of connections on LinkedIn with just over 20,000, 150,000 followers. It's a lot, especially when it's topical. So, um, and all right. So in the sales and marketing part though, um, so, you know, I do a lot of the sales for full scale as you're aware. Um, yeah. and, uh, but I'm not scalable. Mm-hmm. And so our business has been growing fast. Yours is growing fast. Is yeah. that something that you'll have to address going forward? Like I was literally building? just working on it this morning. Right. Um, so do you, do you have the same problem I have? It's like, I, okay, I know I'm a good salesperson and I know that I handle it the way I would want it handled. Yeah. And that makes me really distrustful. And I say distrustful, just meaning like it, you, I really have to see a lot out of a salesperson because yeah. it's not because yeah. our product is a little different. It's it's like, you know, like some of the things that that we're talking about earlier is like, you know, a lot of the, it's a, the way that you're handling some of the objections is not just so intuitive. Gotta, I, I agree. And it's the wrong thinking. Right. Like I have the same thing. Like say so the wrong picking. No, the wrong thinking. Like, oh, I agree. Uh, yeah, like, it's totally flawed. But yeah. I'm just saying it. But it's natural. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Like I was literally on a call with this guy this morning from like, some consulting company, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's the founder-led sale. Yeah, that's not scalable." I was like, "Oh yeah." So you're yeah. basically talking about founder-led sales, right? And so what you have to do then is remove yourself from the process. The way I'm kind of thinking about doing it is doing like a. I'm really interested in the um, the part-time CSO role. Right. There's a lot, there's some interesting companies starting to merge that do like chief sales officer on a part-time. We don't necessarily. Stackify used to maybe do that. Oh yeah. We did. Yep. Was yep. it successful? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Cool. And then hiring salespeople because that, that CSO, that initial part-time CSO can just help you get your processes in place. Right. Yep. right? That's what I'm looking for. Is that for. what they did for yeah. you, Matt? Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. Cool. Yep. And, and then, he still, he still comes around to help continue to train like the new team. Cool. Is that Dan? Yeah, his name's Dan. Yeah, we can give him a shout out. He's a local consultant. Dan O'Reilly. Yeah, Dan O'Reilly. Dan he O'Reilly. does a lot good of work. Dude. He does a lot of uh, sales training stuff too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a good dude. Yeah, Dan's a good guy. Yeah, the one I'm talking. Do you know Dan? No, I do not. Okay. Intro might be good. Yeah. Um, there's a guy named Chris Barnett who did sales at uh, iVerify. Okay. Um, so he does big enterprise stuff. And so I'm really curious about. How the, he so would... the issue I have is, you know, like a lot of our clients are big. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing is like build businesses like ours. And I would assume like risk genius, like we're not a high volume yeah, your thing. Up. Like, I mean, meaning like we, I, I'm not going to get 50 sales leads today. Yep. Yep. So when they come in, like, the, well, dropping that ball, it's, it's really quite expensive, yep. but yeah, well, we hired, we've hired some salespeople sometimes successfully yep. and started moving forward. And that's a process. It's a learning process. And, and then also too, it's also kind of like networking. Cause uh, I think that Matt, you and I get a little spoiled about some of the access that we can gain. And then we're like seeing a sales guy. We're like, wait a minute, you're still talking to this person. Like, why aren't you talking to the CEO? And hmm. literally heard, cause I'm not you. They're not going to just pick up the phone or, you know, something like yeah. that might, or it's a little easier for you or Matt yep. to reach these folks. And, you know, it's some, some of that's just trying to consider that. So what do you think it, because I do believe you're a great salesperson. Oh, what, thanks. what, but what makes you, what helps you sell? By the way, we spend a lot of time talking to people and they're like, yeah, I need to raise money. I need to do this. I need yeah. to do that. I'm like, you could sell something too. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what's your, what do you, what drops some knowledge? Uh, on how to sell? Sure. Just oh. something simple. Like for example, the one thing I tell people first off and foremost is 
is to know that you, people buy the benefits of your product. They don't care about the features. They care uh, about what the benefits yeah. of it are. But yep. dude, so many people don't do that. And then obviously the probably golden rule is you got to ask people to buy things. Yeah. And like, I there's actually, nothing wrong with I that. I suck at that, to be honest with you. But, dude, I, I've made it so simple. I'm like, when do you want to get started? Or yep. do you want to go ahead and get this? Or, you know, just something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think most demos suck, right? Like most demos just are really bad. Uh, because there's focuses on the features on the product. Yeah. Nobody cares about the product. Like, what does this do for me? Yeah. What, what problem are you solving for me? Yeah. Right. And so I try to talk as much in terms of problems and solutions yeah. instead of software. So, and that's benefits. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, that's, it's as simple as that, but then like, you love it when we talk about sales, Matt. Look at Matt's yeah. sales. If all of the listeners could see Matt's face he, right now, he's like, come on, I want to talk about technology. <laughs> what? I like sales. I know you like you like when seeing you sell them technology. Come in. Yes. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we're talking about that. But it's but I think it's a, it's so important because there's you know, you look at the at the history of products in general and mediocre products that are marketed and sold well one over i uh, mean makes me so mad sometimes i mean it wasn't the vhs yeah. like tape like significantly crappier than something like betamax yeah uh, back in the day up. but you know how was that how did it's that all about, and that's marketing too yeah. that's not even sales right like i think that, well they yeah. go together though they go together because it's easy yeah. to sell something that's marketed well and yes. presented well and and whatever but, it's not easy to i mean but marketing doesn't depend on sales I don't know. I think like my, for some reason, my favorite book in the world's popping up, which is the, is positioning the battle for the mind. Yeah. And like that. I've read part of it. It's so good. Yeah. So good. I, I like the, uh, there's, I, I like customer psychology, you know, things that give consideration to it, uh, mainly things that related to the personality style of whoever you're delivering the message to. Do you know Grant Gooding? Yeah. That is yeah. like maybe the best person yeah. in town on that stuff. Yeah, I need to maybe send him an invite. To yeah, absolutely. I was just talking to someone about him the other day, but I, I, I'm, he's one of my many friends on Facebook that I haven't met in person. Hmm. But, you know, so, and it's selling things are different, like selling a SaaS product compared to like what you sell. Like, well, we're SaaS enterprise, right? So they're yeah. SaaS, like Stackify's like more transactions, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so we have products like Gigabook, which might be, Customers pay twenty bucks a month, and yep. Stackify might be five hundred dollars a month, yep. and then your product might be thousands of dollars a month, tens of thousands. Hundreds yeah, I mean, so it's all yeah. over the spectrum. Well, we have both of those too, though. Like uh, something like Gigabook, like I would love to see more enterprise customization. Like, here's the whole platform. Yep. Now, what do you want us to make it do for you? Yeah. <laughs> those are obviously a lot more interesting than like twenty bucks a month because you got to stack up a lot of twenty dollar bills. Speaking of which, Matt fired the Supreme Money Gun off earlier i did and we will be posting <laughs> we will be posting a video of that yeah uh, I was it, actually huh. there's no way that that video won't be posted prior to this episode yeah. coming what out. the hell are you talking we about? have a money gun we have a money that, gun. is that a real supreme money gun is it yeah. actually supreme yeah it, well how sure much did you pay for that how much did i pay for it yeah it is i i'm i not enough because it's probably counterfeit, <laughs> but it is a money gun that says Supreme on the side. Did Supreme make a real money they gun? They did at one point, but uh, I'm pretty positive that mine is not legit, but huh. don't tell me that. And okay. for those of you that are listening, it is totally not a counterfeit Supreme money gun. Wow. Supreme you, is the weirdest from... thing on the planet. But, well, the but we're talking about marketing. Yeah. How freaking amazing are they at marketing? I... They're like, dude, we are going to put our name on anything and everything. They made a brick. 
a, literally a brick once. We yeah. were in Vegas and saw yeah. one of the yeah, stores. Like did. it was like five hundred bucks. Now there's a guy in our office, Brennan, who like caught me up on Supreme, and now I have jokingly have a sticker of Supreme on my monitor. But like, I'll send you about forty of them. I have a stack of them because I have a lot of Supreme stuff. He flips the stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So he has like he bought some weird musical instrument that was like a melodica. A, yes, I bought one too, and I yeah. gave it to my co-author Joel Cummins of the book that I have coming out because he is a keyboardist, and it was really funny. He really appreciated it. Huh. A melodica is like uh, you blow <laughs> through it. It's like a harmonica and a keyboard kind of thing. It's oh, just, weird. It's one of those tolerance instruments by that meaning like you have a tolerance for how much you want to hear someone play it. Ah. A, a kazoo, a banjo yeah. is a tolerance instrument, huh. an oboe, uh, things like that. But yeah, but so that came out. It was like it, you could buy the same one that doesn't have the little tiny Supreme thing on it. And it was like $20. Hmm. Eh, I think I paid 79 but I gave it to him and, you know, he had a lot of fun with it. He's going to play that on stage in front of thousands of people at some point, And that'll be fun. That's All fun. Right. So he bought it and flipped it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah so he probably made like 10, 10, 20 bucks or something. Like yeah, that. I don't know. There's, yeah, there's pretty, also pretty down cool. in downtown Overland Park, the there's a barbershop and they flip Supreme stuff in the corner. Nice. Including and nice. also tennis shoes and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, well, oh, that's, that's that's right up my You better alley. not know where that is. It's next yeah. to uh, Homer's. Mine's called the StockX or their yeah. necessities or whoever app. Like there's a lot of cool sellers. So <laughs> Yeah, we were at we we went in, uh, to Urban Necessities in Las Vegas, and they had a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, and do. we also went to another store there that just has like Supreme stuff. But yeah, I'm a sneakerhead. I got man. a fake Supreme shirt in the Philippines for twelve dollars. I know. Then Matt will send it, it to awesome. me, and he'll be like, "Hey, look, I got this for twelve dollars. It beats your hundred dollar T-shirt." And I'm like, "No, it doesn't." It we're gonna play mixtape, guys. All right, mixtape. So this is a party game that. We have a vested interest in we're helping them build a digital product. Cool. Um, so it's kind of like Cards Against Humanity, but I'm going to read out a scenario and then we're all going to say a song. Now, I feel this is applicable to someone Uh-oh. on this podcast. So you better not fucking lose. All right. How do you win? Well, we, we will vote for oh. each other. It's like oh. whoever's response. Uh, it, so, all right. It's the first date you've been on in five years. What song do you play that captures your excitement? It's got to be Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. <laughs> um, do you have an answer? Yeah. Only in Dreams by Weezer. Blue oh, wow. uh-huh. That's oh, a good wow. one. I've been on in a little bit of a mixtape slump, but I'm going to go with Let's Talk About Sex. Mm, wow. Man, we got some good ones I here. I know. So now we have to vote and you can't vote for yourself. So you had Marvin Gaye. Let's get yeah. it on. You had... Only Weezer. Dreams, Weezer. Okay, so to give you an example, this is a card game, and the issue with the card game, which is a great time, and you can go to mixtapethegame.com, check it out. It's in Target. It's also on Amazon. You're welcome, Joel Johnson. Um, but the digital version, the app, will we would be able to play our songs very quickly and oh, easily. That's so and, cool. Yeah, and it's great. gonna. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this. We've had a lot of fun with this. So now we got to vote. So, do they need investors? <laughs> That might be how we're involved in that. No, no. Yeah, Just we kidding. can help you with that too if you'd like to. I don't get think on. we can actually do this online. I think we're not supposed to talk about investment opportunities. Sorry, SEC. Yeah, we're not. We're saying we invested. We uh, are. Yeah, we we invested in Mixtape the game. We're excited too. about it. That's so yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say that when introducing it anymore because Matt told me I'm taking too long to introduce Mixtape the game. Mm. Um, all right, so we got to vote, and God, I, I just hate doing this, but I'm actually going to vote for you, Matt. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm voting for Matt there. Yours yeah. is too obvious. I know. All right, I won. I so do you know Matt never votes for me? So Oh, really? Well, he's also mad that we, so for a while, you know, this is by the, t this is going to be like episode 111, 112, something like that. But Matt's just mad because there's been like 20, maybe even two dozen episodes where I have, I am undefeated at rock, paper, scissors. I did hear about this. Yes. I don't, it's actually just the weirdest anomaly. Cause <laughs> I think we're at the point now that every time I beat you again and I've retired, I have nothing left <laughs> to play for. Uh, we, just, we did it a couple like episodes ago. Yeah. Well, I bet I won. Yeah, you won. Again. 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 Yeah. But so, I heard your daughter beat you the other day. Uh, two out of three. Yeah. Which is really funny because I was mad that I didn't videotape that and send it to you to show yeah. you that even four-year-olds <laughs> own me. Can get lucky sometimes. I, I can guarantee I'm going to beat you. Oh. Let's try it. All right. All I already right. know what you're ready. ready. Yeah. One, two, three. Shoot. Yep. I knew it. He's, you notice his paper straight up and down. Because he's kind of cheating a little bit, but I'm going to let him. How am I cheating? How's that he, cheating? He knew it. He knew it. He was like. No, no, no. I No, I went straight into He this. won, though. I he know. won. I am totally defeated. You lost. For everybody but you, but I'm not going to play you anymore because I've retired from that. Hmm. I'm retiring again. I'm going back on the shelf, guys. Um, so what's coming in the future for Risk Genius? And we can find you at riskgenius.com. Sure. Or Cheatham Consulting. <laughs> uh, so Cheatham Consulting is ridiculous because I decided this was in my early days. And, uh, just go look at the bridge metaphor. It's so embarrassing. Um, yeah. Anyways, and there's a tab I can't get to delete on the WordPress site. Um, what's coming? Yeah, we're hiring a lot of developers, hiding, hiring um, salespeople right now. So either of those interest you let us know um and then just scaling right that's what everyone does it's the hustle i don't know. just keep hustling i'm trying to beat zelda on the switch right now it's driving me crazy oh that's fun yeah it's a good game it's a good game what did that have to do with all this you asked me what i'm doing oh Oh, you got to collect all the shrine, something and other in the shrines, it, it. right? By yeah. the way, yeah. I want to point out, I appreciate your KC fandom and you're a Jayhawk too, right? I'm a Jayhawk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I'm wearing a, so much better to know Mahomes jersey, right? Well, you're a big, you're a big uh, Royals fan. Yeah. I know that. And yep. then, you know, you came out and watched the game with us. We took, gonna be really good. took a picture with Joel Goldberg, which was fun. And Joel's nice. Comes by sweet. Yep. You know, for those of you listening to like Joel Goldberg, Joel Goldberg Media or joelgoldberg.com, something like that. But he does really cool public speaking. He's become quite the entrepreneur for that. So he's been quite hospitable with our guests. Speaking of, oh, dude, yesterday's Royals game, by the time we were there with. Did you see Chris Owens? Yes. Pitch? Yeah. When they, they put the backup <laughs> second baseman into pitch, we figured it was time to go what? ahead and go. Yeah. Yeah. Are you serious? That's how yeah. And by the way, I throw harder than he does. Huh. He gave two home runs in like two innings. Yeah. Four runs. Walked four. Why, why, why would we have him pitch? Because they have another game today. And when you're losing that bad, why even use a pitcher? Yeah. Like you've just, I mean, it's not uncommon to do that. Like, because you just want to give your Royals are gonna be good wins. in about three years, all right? I heard Royals that are... for a while, but you no, know, they have some. They have some young talent, but the pitching's terrible. I got a shot. I might. I I try. I actually, after they put Owings in, I did text Goldberg mm -hmm. and told him that I was loose and ready for you the ninth what? inning. You should go check out the Delaware team, the Blue Rocks or whatever. Yeah, called. they used to come to uh, when I lived in the East Coast. They oh, yeah. used to come play in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. I'll, I'll never forget. Go, I have a friend that works at the Royals. So he was like, you got to come see this team. And so go out there and see Salvador Perez when yeah. he was in the minor leagues and Hosmer yeah. and Moustakas. And it was like, 
okay, there's something here. Yeah. And so like, there is a group right there, there right now that will be yeah. like that. Yeah. It's, it's cyclical. Yeah. All right, guys. See you next time. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.